0: Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. All right. Well, we're going to jump into... Listen, nothing has to change. Now we're just going to share the truth. and The truth is going to set us free. And we're going to keep holding the Lord through His Word. Through His word. All right. So if you can... Let's just, uh, we're going to jump in, and just adjust to what God's doing here. So we're going to get right into this. If you could turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6. For the last uh, few weeks, I feel like we've been kind of putting out where we're going uh, in terms of teaching the word, and specifically, we've been talking about few of us, Caesar's really the one that actually God, God really used to awaken something in my heart with the names of the Lord, the names of the Lord, and and it's been uh, building up to this, God has moved differently over the last few weeks, but here we are today, we're going to engage in, in a teaching series on the names of the Lord, and in just a moment, I will get into Matthew 6, but just bear with me, I just want to kind of lay some groundwork for us, and, and why we're doing this, and uh, I want to just kind of speak big picture on the names of the Lord, because honestly, a lot of things that we're talking about today of loving him rightly and worshiping him deeply, it's actually going to be all connected to what we're doing, the glory of the Lord. Moses asked to see the glory of the Lord, and the Lord said, I've revealed my name to you. I've revealed my name to you. So there are so many things that are happening in this house that I believe are deeply connected. And so we'll get into Matthew 6 in a moment, but I want to just share some some thoughts on, on the names of the Lord Maybe you've never heard of this, this, uh, this topic or really uh, have ever considered that, but there are, there are a lot of names, and we can't cover all of them. There's actually hundreds of names. Uh, there is probably, I believe, one name that, that kind of transcends the rest, which is Yahweh, and we will look at that. There's three foundational names of God, Elohim, Yahweh, and Adonai, uh, but if you think about the triune God, there are, there are many names uh, just for Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that in itself are names. Uh, you could look at different names of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to go on a journey. We'll just stay in this as long as the Lord tells us. And then uh, when he tells us to get out, we'll get out. But I think we're really we're going to come into deeper, deeper, deeper relationship with the Lord. I, I honestly, I believe it's going to shape and shift our worship time together. When we start declaring names of God, we're not going to say these things. Not that we have. There's so much hunger in here. But I mean, there's going to be a deeper, deeper understanding of the person who stands behind that name. And so, th- so that's where we're going to be going. I want to just share a few things just to make sure we're on the, on the same page uh, before we get to do that. So for some, this may, just stay with me, I promise, just stay with me. For some of you, this may feel like um, things that you've heard, and that's good to have a refreshment. For others, this may be brand new. But I just, I, we're actually not going to get into a specific name today. I want to provoke our heart for just the power, the glory, the majesty that is found in God's name. Right, like the last few weeks, we've been singing about Yahweh, <laughs> I want us when we sing about Yahweh, like we get wrecked by the brilliance of the one who stands behind that name. Yes. Like what it means that he's Yahweh. What does it mean that, that he comes as healer? Like what does it mean? And, and I really want us to be moved by that. But it all really comes to this. I believe in my heart, I'm i now approaching almost a decade now in ministry. Can you believe that? It's almost been a decade in ministry for us, which yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. And but I say this, and all of that here's some of you like, that's nothing. Uh, but here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned, that it all comes down to this. It's all about knowing God. It's all, I, I am more increasingly convinced that the one thing it comes down to, there's so many important subplots and subtruths, but it all hits this transcendent truth of knowing God. Like Jesus died, John 17, 3, he died so that we may know him. That is eternal life, is the knowledge of God. Every person in this room was created to know God. It's what makes us come alive. It's what makes us, our hearts tick. I believe the knowledge of God is literally, the, it's, it's almost every time the solution to the issues that we face in our life and uh, as corporally as a body, much of the issues that we face even right now. Much of the issues would be solved if we've had an ever increasing knowledge of, of who He is. Like fear gets dealt with when we see Him rightly, faith starts hitting our hearts when we see who our God is, uh, complacency gets crushed. We start having passion and a fiery heart again. When we stare upon the, the transcendent, infinite God, and sometimes it's really hard to even speak into these things because words cannot fully express. Like uh, we talked about it in um, Jesus in the Song of Solomon where it says he is the cheapest among 10,000. If you remember, Charles Spurgeon said there's actually not even a word cheapest in the English dictionary. But that's what God does. He breaks down vocabulary because we cannot define him by the little words that we have. And so that's the journey we're going on is to really grow in the knowledge of the Lord. And when I, when I say that, I'm not talking about a knowledge that's rooted in our ability to regurgitate all the facts we've learned about him over the years. I'm talking about a life transformative relationship. It's a knowledge that touches the core of who we are. It's a knowledge that's not purely informative. It's transformative. And, and, and the more we know God, the more that we change. And I'm telling you, the more that we understand his names, the more our lives are going to shift. So here's the beautiful thing that not only does God, or not only do we have a a desire built in us to know him, do you know that God wants us to know him? (laughs) That's the hope, (laughs) because if it was just up to us, we'd never be able to do it. But God has a deep desire for us to know him. That's why he sent his son to open up the veil so that we could come in, and again, that is eternal life. And so when you look through scriptures, you find a God who desires to be known, but how does he reveal himself? There are many ways in which God reveals himself, but one of the primary ways is in the word, and then more specifically, through his names. Yes. Through his names is one of the ways that God actually reveals to us who he is, his names and his titles. So just stay. Listen, this I feel like there will be pockets where we teach heavy over the next few weeks, and then there will be also in the midst of that some really amazing encounter with God in that. So just, just walk with me. Knowing someone by their name can sound kind of strange to us, right? If I were to say, if you want to know my wife, get to know her name, you'd say That's, that sounds kind of strange. It's because there's, there's a gap between our culture and biblical culture. Our culture, we usually pick a person's name, our child's name, based on popularity in our culture. We like the sound of it. Uh, we Honestly, we just prefer that nomenclature. We just like that. It's a way we like to distinguish it. Uh, maybe it's from a family member's name that we are passing on. But biblically, it's very different. Biblically, names were really an expression of the person's reality. They became actually, names actually revealed to you, it could be the person's character, the person's calling, the person's upbringing, their destiny, like the authority that God has given them. There are a number of things that actually tell us about who that person is. So for us, for us in our culture, this would be more understood through the realm of nicknames. We do this with nicknames. I remember playing sports. There would be some guys that are really fast. Actually, there was a guy who played basketball at Hofstra years ago went to the pros. Uh, I forget his first name. His last name was Claxton. But they called him Speedy Claxton. Speedy. So this is what we do. This is kind of how it worked in the Bible. You give names that actually highlight a person's gifts, skills, purpose, whatever it may be. So Moses. Moses' name actually means to draw out. Actually implies to draw out of water. So Moses, when he was sent down the river in a basket, Pharaoh's daughter drew him out of the water as she speaks to who he is. You can go to many examples, but this is true for God, whether it's Father, Son, or Holy Spirit. Jesus in Matthew 21, the angel comes to Joseph and says, his name shall be Yeshua, Jesus, because he will save the people from their sins. His name means Yeshua, which is Savior, but it's also the essence of who he is. Isaiah 9.6, it's a prophecy of Jesus, and it says, Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and government will be on his shoulders. And his name, his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now that is Jesus' name, but that is also who he is. He is Wonderful Counselor. He is Prince of Peace and Mighty God. So when we study the names of God and he reveals his name he's really revealing who he is. In fact, names are so important biblically that often what God will do, you'll see in the scriptures, is he'll change a person's name and when he's giving them a new calling. He's not saying, "Hey, I don't like what your parents named you." What he's doing is your character's changing right now. Your purpose is changing, your destiny is changing. I mean, Abram and Abraham is one of the great examples. Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. That was the calling put on, put on Abraham's life. Uh, Jacob, Jacob's name actually means grabber of heel and deceiver. Both of those actually describe his upbringing. When he was born with his twin brother Esau, he came out of the womb grabbing the heel of his brother. He also deceived his brother Esau in getting him to get his, give his birthright. But later on, Jacob had an encounter with with God, an angel of the Lord, and his name was changed to Israel, which means the one who prevails. God's still in the business of changing names. (laughs) Still in the business of changing names. He may not change the name that's on your certificate, but he's still in the business of changing our character, our calling, our destiny. Like I stand here as living proof that my name has been changed by the Lord. your name can change if it's never been changed. How? I was thinking about this. What, what, would, what would that look like? Here's the way I'll illustrate it. We are the bride, and Jesus is the bridegroom, right? When I call, when a bride enters into relation with the bridegroom, her name becomes his name. Why? Because she has given herself away unto someone else. She has thrust herself to become one with someone else. We get a new name when we give ourselves over to the Lord wholeheartedly. When we renounce self-reliance and and say, Lord, here I am, God says, I will give you a new name. If you would yield your life to him, he will give you a new name this morning. <laughs> and sometimes, even though we're his children, he keeps giving us new names. Because he keeps doing new things in our life. There's always always new things to explore in the Lord with that. So listen, I, I, here's, here's I think something really important. Is uh, I just want to put this out and we're going to jump in. The danger or the warning when we go through this study is that you can know a person's name but not know the person. And this is, this is really, really important because God is not interested in us just having a purely head knowledge of who he is. That's important. We need both. But he wants us to have a heart knowledge. And if you look at how God reveals himself in scripture, he never comes to a man or Israel, whatever it may be, and say, here's a 100 names of who I am. Now go memorize them. He comes in very personal, specific ways, in very specific situations, and reveals his name to them. And what's amazing is that the name he's revealing, he's actually fulfilling that moment why so that they would have an understanding of the person who stands behind that, name. that they would not just learn how to pronounce it in its original language but they would know the one who stands behind it listen I would be deeply grieved if someone asked my son one of them or my daughter Caden said tell me about your father and if they went my father's name is Andrew <laughs> my father lives in Mastic Beach my father has provided a house My father father is a good father. Even though those truths may be wonderful, I would hope that they'd be able to express the relationship that I have with them. But so often we say, who is God? And we say, my God is Alpha. My God is Omega. My God is this. Now, we need to be able to do that, but I want us to go on a journey to have our hearts opened up to what that means, to the relational aspect once that happens, then we have faith. And that's where the name, the power of that name really gets unlocked in our lives is when there's faith for that. So my heart is that we encounter heart knowledge of who God is in this. We get wrecked by his brilliance. My hope is that when we go through these names, it'll be like you're meeting God again for the first time. It'll be like you're meeting God again for the first time. My, My hope is that we don't just learn how to pronounce these names, but that we get rocked by encountering the power and the person behind these names. know that in Revelation, I'm just, reminded, Revelation 2, do you know that it says, to one of the churches in Pergamum, the Lord said, to the one who overcomes, which overcoming is by faith in Christ, he says, to the one who overcomes, I'm going to give you a white stone, and on that stone is going to be a new name, and he says, only you will know what it means, isn't that amazing, everyone in this room that overcomes by faith in Christ, the Lord says, when I see you, I'm going to give you a new What does that mean? Does that mean it's in a language that no one else knows? Perhaps. But I lean more towards the fact that it's actually names that people would actually understand, but they will not get the full depth of it, because it comes from your personal history with God on this side of eternity. It's a name that people will see and say, well, that's a nice name. But you say, no, 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 no. You don't understand. When I went through my hardest season, when I went through victory, whatever it may be, God saw me and he met me in this way. You have no idea what this name means to me. He's in the business of giving new names. So we're gonna go on a journey though. We're gonna go on a journey of discovering the glory of God's names. And honestly, again, I just can't say it enough. The knowledge of God, I think, is gonna explode in our hearts. And when we come in before him, there's gonna be just such reverence for the things that we are saying. So let's turn to, again, if you haven't already, Matthew chapter 6. We're gonna look specifically at verses 9 through 13. By the way, just to kind of further the point of how his name reflects his essence. Uh, Psalm, Psalm nine 910 says this, and those who know your name put their trust in you. Those who know your name put their trust in you. Why? Because to know his name is to know him. To know his name is to know him. So let's look at this. We'll just spend a few minutes, and then we're going to close in prayer. Matthew 6, verse 9 and 13, this is the Lord's Prayer. I really feel that this captures the heart of where we're going to be for the next few weeks. And again, my, my heart is that all of us would be provoked and stirred to see the beauty of God's name. And this is what it says. Jesus, in verse 9, when asked when asked to teach his disciples how to pray, he says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And verse 13 says... And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So as the disciples come around and say, Lord, teach us how to pray. He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The The word hallowed is really strange for us. We don't really use it in our vocabulary. But it means to set apart. It means to esteem, treat, treasure, and value as holy. It means to admire, revere, magnify adore supremely, cherish above all else. So Jesus' first statement after our Father in heaven, it says, and your Father, hallowed be his name. Set it apart, let his name be glorified, let his name be lifted high. May you adore it, revere it like no other name. I believe God wants to restore a hallowing of his name in this generation. That when we walk into the, even this building, that there is a hallowing of the name of God. That there is something about that name that we lift up above every other name. Every other name. Lord, your name would be hallowed in this place. Listen, I've always read this. I've always read this as an acclamation. Meaning, I've always read it as a statement of praise. In other words, I always read it as if Jesus was saying, your name is being hallowed. It's not written like that. It's written as a petition. In other words, Jesus is exhorting us as his followers to say, guys, I don't want you to just have a prayer that you keep at a nightstand, that you recite before you go to bed. I don't want this to just be something that you say at the end of every service. He says, I want your hearts to be gripped and marked by a cry, by a pleading and a yearning. What is it? I want you guys to have one desire above all else, that the name of the Lord would be glorified and hallowed in the generations. That the name of the Lord would be revered amongst the people and the nations. Jesus, Jesus is is exhorting us not just to memorize something, but to adopt a heart posture here. Lord, that your name would be hallowed. The Lord's Prayer, this is what really kind of gripped my heart this week. The Lord's Prayer is really, this is the primary purpose of the Lord's Prayer. It is this right here. I've read this before, and again, I've, I've, I've like looked at this differently, but I realize that what this is saying is that the chief aim of your life and my life is that the name of God would be hallowed. In other words, when we start reading, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Why? So that his name would be hallowed. So that his name would be revered. So that his name would be glorified. Why do we pray for our sins to be forgiven? Why do we pray to be kept from temptation? that for all of eternity, our lives would be trophies of grace that declare the glory of his name. Amen. It's all unto the hallowing of his name. This is, this is like, we've got to recapture this. You know what this does? This smashes the man-centered gospel Amen. of which we gather to promote a church name or a church brand or we gather to promote the name of a leader. We do not gather for a leader's name. We do not gather today to promote home church gather for one purpose, that the name of God would be hallowed in this place, that it would be lifted high, exalted above every other name. I think God is just, honestly, he's dismantling superstar Christianity in this hour. And we're coming back to a place when we gather and say, Lord, we get low as your name gets lifted high. When we come in, you be hallowed, Lord. And you know what's amazing? We're most satisfied when he's most glorified. That's how he created us. So actually, the more he gets glory, the more our hearts say yes. Because we were made for his glory. The enemy twists it, so we come center stage, but our hearts are never satisfied in that. So we come in and say, Lord, throw the church branding out. We're not trying to promote our church. We're not trying to promote a person. God, be, let your name be hallowed in this place. Let it be lifted high. No matter what, in every aspect of my life. Do you know that Jesus, when going to the cross in John 12... Specifically verse 27 28, Jesus, as he's going to the cross, he has this dialogue with the Father. He begins to reveal how he processes this troubling moment. And he says this He says, Father, what shall I say? Rescue me from this hour. He says, No, for this very reason I've come to this hour. And then he says, This Father, glorify your name. And then the Father speaks and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it. Jesus said, Here's what I want more than anything, Father. Glorify your name. Man, this, this is, like, we need to recapture this right here. Yeah. He came into the cross. Like, this just, again, just comes against so much of, I feel, the, the, the direction of where, like, Western church is. He comes and he doesn't, he doesn't want to waste the cross. He doesn't want to waste it. He says, Lord, let every opportunity be an opportunity to bring you glory. Jesus doesn't fall into a place of self-pity. He doesn't say, man, woe is me. He says, no, no, Lord, no matter what it looks like, I want your name to get glory. I'm not going to waste this anymore. So whatever it looks like. Listen, guys, whatever you're going through, whether it's lows or extreme highs, may that be the position that we have. Father, hallowed be your name through my life. Be lifted high. Honestly, most of my depression, <laughs> to be honest, when I go through, and I, I don't mean like just like those feelings of discouragement and whatnot, most of the time I have that, it's because I've taken center stage. Most of the time it's because I get really introspective and I start making it about me. But the moment I realize it's not about me and my world and it's about him, something changes in my heart. Yes. You know that the Lord is so jealous for his name that often he will do things and say, it ain't even about you guys. <laughs> he says, this is for my name's sake. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Yes. He yes. says, you're all jacked up. You got a lot of stuff. But here's, here's the good news. He says, I'm going to do it for my name's sake. Yeah. Do you know, in 1 Samuel... Twelve I'll just read it. It says, For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. That is glorious news, but God is serious about his name. And so do we. We need to be serious about it too. We need to recapture the majesty and brilliance of this name. Just listen to some of these verses. Psalm 111.9. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Yes. Holy and awesome is his name. And listen, if you feel like I do at times, an outsider just seeing God's name like that, we can't muster it up. We're, the first step is just to acknowledge it and say, Lord, I want my heart to be moved by your names. When we sing of Adonai, Elohim, Yahweh, when we sing of the bread of life, when we sing of the comforter. God, I want my I want my, my I want to tremble at that name. Psalm 124, 8, it's a psalm of deliverance. about God's mighty hand to deliver his people. As you get to the very end, the last verse, verse 8, it says this. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Our help, our deliverance, our rescuer It's in the name of the Lord. Do you know the power of his name? This is why the, the disciples, they were told, stop preaching in that name. Do whatever you want, but don't speak in that name. Don't speak in the name of Yeshua. Because that name has power. And when Jesus, or Peter and John, heal the man, they did it in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The name there is power in that name. And when, what I want is us, when we say it, there's a faith on our end for what that name means. Yes, yes. So that we know in that name, darkness trembles. Yes. There's deliverance in that name when you're going through hard times to call out with faith. Yes. Thank God, my banner, my righteousness. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. We run into it. Psalm 91.14 says this, speaking of deliverance. Because he holds fast to me in love. This is actually speaking about man, holding fast to God in love. God says this, I will deliver him. Then he says, I will protect him because he knows my name. Psalms are often written in, in very poetic language, which means that the multiple lines are actually unto one single point. So what's being expressed here is the same thing. It says, because he loves me, meaning because man loves me, put your name in there. He says, I will deliver him. Because he knows my name, I will protect him. Which means, one of the ways we express love for God is to know his names. Is to know his names and know his names rightly. Turn with me to Psalm 8. I want you to read, I want you to see this one if you would. Psalm 8, verse 1 and 2. Psalm 8, 1 and 2. Come on, We're just getting stirred by the, the holiness and majesty and greatness of God's name. Psalm 8, 1 and 2, this is a Psalm of David. He says this. He says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes. To still the enemy and the avenger. He says, oh Lord, oh Lord, how, how majestic is your name. How impressive, how lofty, how brilliant, how splendid is your name. Lord, there is nothing like your name. And here's the thing is in my life at times I'm saying, man, I feel like I've never really entered into that. I know the names, but why can I express that type of, of adoration for the name of God? Because look at the next verse. He says, out of the mouths of babies and infants... In other words, it's through the childlike that begin to erupt with this praise of the majesty of God's name. Yeah. It's, it's the proud that can memorize the name, but it's the childlike that marvel at his name. Yeah. Yeah. That's the difference. And we need to say, Lord, over these next few weeks, move us and wreck our hearts to not be so impressed with our own wit and wisdom that we no longer marvel at who God is. Yeah. That we no longer wonder at his names. God. Bring me back to a place as if I've never met Lord, that all, all over again, I'd never lose the wonder of who God is and what is found in his name. I don't want to just be able to pronounce his name. I want to know the power that is behind that name. Yes, yes. You know what's amazing is that right after this, he says, hallowed be your name. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God builds his kingdom where his name is hallowed. The releasing of God's kingdom comes when we hallow the king's name. So Turn with me over. We'll finish here in Exodus 20. Exodus twenty. What is the opposite of hallowing God's name? What is the opposite? Are you guys are you guys with me? We got this. Our one life pursuit, our chief aim, above everything else, is the name of the Lord to be hallowed in our lives and across the nations. He would receive glory. So Exodus 20 gives us an important part to this equation. What's the opposite side of hallowing the name of God? And many of you may be familiar with this text. It's the Ten Commandments, of which God received, gives to Moses on Mount Sinai. But it's the third commandment I want to read to you. I think it's one that's often misunderstood. And it says this in verse 7, Exodus 20. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in In vain. In vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You shall not take the Lord your God's name in vain. Now what does that mean? What does it mean to take God's name in vain? This is the opposite of Halloween. Does to take the name of the Lord in vain mean that when I wake up in the middle of the night to get a drink of water and the lights are off and I stub my toe on the on their cabinet, I should avoid saying the name Jesus? Does it mean I need to tell my kids from a young age, hey, when you get excited about something, say, oh, my gosh, instead of God? Well, certainly, yeah, there's a big aspect of that. Yeah, we're not going to deny that. But that is a very elementary level of actually what's being expressed here. Yep. Very elementary level. And a lot of times we could say, I don't take the Lord's name in vain because I don't use it in a cursing way. But actually, we're not really understanding what it's saying here. Because the, the, the word vain means to empty out. It means meaningless, pointless, futile, to waste something. The name of God is great and powerful. So when we throw the name of God around without an understanding of the weightiness and power, or we attribute his name to things that he has never spoken about that contradicts his personhood, we use it in vain. Yes. It's happening all the time right now in the political agenda right now. Yes. Everyone's attaching God's name to here, to here, to here. Be yes. very careful of that. Yes. Did the Lord really speak here? Did he say, I'm, I'm backing this? Come on. We take the name of the Lord in vain when we do that. Real quick, this is the easiest way to explain it. Look at um, Matthew 15, if you could. Matthew 15, verse 8 and 9. Jesus gives a statement about overall worship, which we know the entire Christian walk is centered on worship. And I think there's principles here that really teach us how we take the Lord's name in vain. Matthew 15, 8 and 9 says this. Jesus speaking, quoting Isaiah. He says, this people... They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Ready? In vain, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Two really important things. You say, okay, we want to hallow his name, we don't want to take it in vain. Vain means when we empty it out, it's insignificant, we treat it casual, we, we actually waste the power and majesty of that name. How do we actually do that? And I think right here gives us two things. Number one, it says, we enter into a place of vain worship when we honor God with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. Our hearts are far, which means we come into a place and we say the names of God, but again, it's void of faith. It's, it's, it's in a casual way. We actually don't fully understand the magnitude of the name that we are lifting up. Our emotions, th- there's a disconnect in what we're saying and our hearts, the emotions of our heart being invested in the name that we're, we easily release it, but honestly, it's not moving us. We're not—we're not being like wrecked by the name that we are saying. It's void of faith. Listen, we use the name of God in vain when we come in here. We open up a prayer in the name of God. We close in the name of God, but in between, He's left out of the whole thing. Yes. This is—this is something. Is this is using His name in vain. He said, "You just had a gathering in My name, but I wasn't even invited into this thing. I wasn't even the center attraction in this thing." his name in vain. <laughs> we use his name in vain when our lifestyles contradict the one we say we belong to. Yes. So when we say, I'm a follower of Christ, I, I, I operate in the name of Jesus, yet my life is so that we're actually using his name in vain. Because we're attributing something that actually doesn't belong to his name. Look at this second part. It says, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Which means... They replace the truth of God with opinions about who God is, man's own thoughts about who God is. So the other way that we use the Lord's name in vain is that we use it in a way that's counter to who he is as a person. We we, we say things that are actually man's opinion. It's actually the image of God that man has made rather than understanding how God has revealed himself to us. So that's why it's so important we're in the Word and we go through this study because we don't want to throw around his name based on our own desires. We want to say, God, how have you revealed yourself to us? And that's the that's the definition that we are going to come underneath. Does that make sense? All right. So for these next few weeks, we're going to go into a place of where His name is going to be hallowed. It's going to be hallowed in this body. And I'm telling you, God's kingdom, God's kingdom, He builds there. I believe the more well, the more that happens, the more activity we're going to see the Lord. And now, no matter what the names say. Now, listen. This is what we'll do. There's, as I said, many names of God but I want to simplify this. I don't know if we'll, we'll highlight specific ones maybe, but we're going to start with his three foundational names, Yahweh, Elohim, and Adonai, okay? These are not just names of God the Father, by the way. Like Jesus is Yahweh. Holy Spirit is Yahweh. These are names that describe the Godhead, okay? So when we get rooted in these, we'll go out from there and see what the Lord does, all right? So I am gonna. I want to pray if uh, Mark could put on something. I want to share one last story. To, uh, oh, that's a ladder. I should have had it there the whole time. Ray always yells at me. <laughs> it's like I told you, man. <laughs> I, I, was, I was reading a story. Actually, I'm sorry. I was watching a video. How many of you know of R.C. Sproul? Have you heard of R.C. Sproul? A fantastic teacher. I love R.C. Sproul. I think he actually recently passed away. Um, but an incredible teacher. And he was sharing a true story of him going through a class on the names of God back in the day in seminary. And he said um, there was a girl that walked in class, and she came in, and she was kind of skipping. She had a little extra uh, pep in her step, and she was hanging out her hand like this, showing it off. And he said, uh, I think he gave a fake name in the video. He said, uh, and this is, this is an actual story he went through. He said, oh, Mary. He said, you got engaged. And she said, oh, yeah, I got engaged. She said, that's amazing. He said, who? And she's like, to John in the back. He said, that's awesome. That's in front of the whole class. And uh, he says, Do you mind if I ask you a few questions? She's like, Sure. You know, This is her moment. And um, he says, I assume you love John. She said, Oh, I love him very much. She said, Can, can you tell us why you love John? And uh, she goes, Well, look at John. He's so handsome. And, and he says, R.C. Sproul says, Oh, he is. He is. He's a very good looking guy. But he goes, But Bill over in the corner, he's a handsome guy. Why don't you marry him? And she goes, well, yeah, he is a handsome guy, but there's got to be something else he's saying, right? And she's like, well, he's handsome, but I, I love John because he's so athletic. And R.C. Sproul goes, uh, yeah, he is. He's a great basketball player. Uh, but Bill is the captain of the basketball team. <laughs> why didn't you marry Bill? And, uh, and now she's starting to get a little flustered in front of the whole class. And he's like, there's got to be something else about John. Tell me, why did you marry John? And she goes, he's so intelligent. And he goes, he is a very good student, but Bill is about to win valedictorian. <laughs> and at this point now, she's really flustered. And, uh, and she's just standing there. And he says, so Mary, tell me, why did you marry John? And at this point, she's kind of walking back and forth. She's like, well, I mean, I, because he's John. And he said, That's Right. And he said, when it comes down to when you want to boil down the essence of who someone is, and you want to explain how much that relationship means to you and the history that you have to them. It comes back to their name. Yes. So when we talk about the name of God, the name of God, it is the greatest way we can express who he is. Tell me about your God. He, he, he's Yahweh. And his name is everything I want. And So that's the, that's the journey we're going to go on. Is to discover the majesty of that name. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Lord, I'm just so grateful for what you're doing in this body. I thank you for the hunger that's in this body. I thank you for the love that's in this body. I thank you for the disciples that you're making in this body. But Lord, right now, I just pray that our hearts would be moved by the greatness of your name. Lord, that we would come to hallow your name. I pray that that cry would mark every one of our hearts. That, Lord, above all else, we pray that your name is adored. Your name is cherished. Your name is magnified. Your name is glorified. I pray, Lord, right now, that you would even begin to prepare hearts. That as we go through names, I pray against just knowing the name and not knowing you. And I pray that over the next few weeks and the rest of our life, God, that we would come to know you in such an intimate way, that when there's a need of provision, that we would see that you are Yahweh, Jaira. Lord, that when there's a need of healing, that we would see that you are Yahweh, Rafi. I pray that you would see you are the Lord who is our righteousness. I pray that we would see that you are the Lord who is our banner. I pray that we would see that you are a jealous God for us. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would help us to be childlike. That we would marvel at your name. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that in this house, among these people, that it's the name of the Lord that is lifted and exalted above every other name. I pray for those that are struggling with, with who they are, their calling, maybe they don't even know you. I pray, Lord, that you would give them a new name. Yeah. I pray that they would yield their life to you. That they would enter into union with you and you would give them a new name, a new beginning, a new purpose, new character, new life, new creation. Yeah. So I pray you would seal all of this, Holy Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's anyone who would like personal prayer, we can have Don come on up and and pray. But God bless you guys. Join us in the prayer room this week, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, Wednesday night Bible study. Love you guys. Have an awesome week. you are and to what you are doing and I believe God is jealous to flip the tables of our hearts he flipped the tables in in the temple and you know why he did that it's for the sake of intimacy because he is jealous for you to experience what's happening and I felt a godly jealousy for every person in this body now that we have four different sets going on like and there's going to be more but I'm hoping that it's one of those times works and get involved like join into what the Lord is is doing here I don't want you to miss that you guys follow me? So listen, um, I started thinking about this. David, this is one of the greatest moves of God. And there was an opportunity to respond or take offense. And I was actually speaking, I forget who it was. Oh, Joe, I think it was with Joe Johnson. We were speaking about the thieves on the cross before service. And he, he didn't even know this, but he was sharing about it. And he said, yeah, you know, one responded and one mocked. <laughs> One mocked what was happening. And then I began to think about Pentecost, right? Pentecost. I mean, think about the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Lives being changed. We've never seen a move like this before. And you had people. I mean, this move from the old to new covenant, it was actually an historical event that took place on earth, which means there were people that got to experience the transition into the new covenant and the spirit of God coming to live in man. They were there to participate. They could have joined in and some responded with faith. But you know what others did? They mocked them. They mocked them and said they're drunk on wine. And they left the greatest move of God. Now, I'm not saying that this is something like that, but I know that God is moving. I know that God is moving. And what I realized is that every move of God has a measure of offense built into it. it. All of them do. It just like really hit me. And I said, wow, every time God moves mightily, there's a measure of it where you can either take offense or you can actually humble ourselves and join into what he's doing. Why? Well, probably because God is so much bigger than than what we realize. So even though we do our best to write out our, our doctrinal statements, which are so good and so important, at the end of the day, he's an infinite God. And there are just some times where he moves beyond our 16 foundational truths. He just does. And we say, wait a minute, this doesn't line up with what I know. And because I don't understand this, this must not be God. That's a dangerous place to be in. Sometimes when God begins to move, it's because we don't understand it. Or it places a demand on our life. This is where we're going next week or the week after of Psalm 132. David sacrificed personal comforts in his life to make a resting place for God. And what I find sometimes that when God is moving, what happens is it begins to confront that we've been living for a lot of other things other than just him. And that demand begins to confront us and we can be offended by that. Sometimes just the simplicity of Jesus can offend us. What do you mean? There's got to be more than this, or we got to do this. You got to tell people this, and you start leading people to Jesus, and that can be offensive, and I want us to go to our hearts. All right, so last, last scripture. Turn with me to Luke 7 really quick, and we'll close here. I want you to see this, and we'll close out here. Luke chapter 7, and I'm going to read verses 44 to 47. Luke chapter 7, verses 44 to 47. So let me, let, me, let me explain this. It was about maybe two years ago we touched on this scripture. And I'm just going to give you the highlights. And then I'm going to share the, the ending of this, of this chapter of what happens here. But I believe this so parallels what we just shared. And it gives us another, another perspective of it. Luke chapter 7, the story that I'm about to, about to read with you at the very end. It's a story of Jesus being invited into a, into a, um, a man's home. His name is Simon the Pharisee. He's a, he's a, a well-known religious leader of the day. And he invites Jesus in to partake in a meal with him. He invites him to have a dinner party, essentially. And there are a number of people that are in this home, and Jesus agrees to come into his house. And so they begin to sit around the table, it says, and Jesus reclines at the table and begins to participate with them in this dinner party that they're throwing for him. And all seems to be going really well. It's pretty typical for this culture of what they were doing. The problem is, is that Jesus isn't just a typical guest. And so they were really engaging with Jesus on a very casual level. And what happens is, is that there's another person, another character who enters the scene. And she was known as a sinful woman. Why? There's speculation as to what she did. But either way, she had a reputation for living out of alignment with God's ways. Let's just put it that way. And she she finds out that Jesus is in this house. And so she leaves to come into this house. And when she finds out that Jesus is in this house and she comes into the house, it says she looks just for Jesus. I think like this is such a beautiful picture of what's happening in the church and in our body. She says, I'm coming into this house and I'm here for one reason. I'm here to meet with Jesus. And she goes out of her way to find Jesus. And when she comes to Jesus, it says that she falls on her knees before Jesus. Now picture this scene. They're all just having a dinner party. I mean, they've got a schedule set up, and they're just going according to plans. And then this woman comes into the midst of this dinner party, falls on her knees, and says she breaks an alabaster jar of oil, very expensive, and begins to anoint his feet. It then says she begins to kiss his feet, unceasingly kissing his feet. Now imagine this. These guys are sitting around the table saying... What in the world is going on? And then she begins to cry. Well, she was crying intensely. So intensely, it says that she washes his feet with her tears and that actually she lets down her hair and begins to wipe his feet with her hair. Now, that's important because in this culture, to lay down your hair in public, to let it down as a woman, was was a shameful thing. She's doing exactly what David was doing, saying, I'll become even more undignified. I do not care what other people think of me. So here's this scene, dinner party, all these guys are engaging the Lord. She comes in, starts responding to the presence of God in such a powerful way, and she blows up this whole party. She, she just destroys this gathering, saying, we had something really good. I mean, we were just going right along with the plans. Dinner was finishing, dessert was coming next, and, and, and now you come in and you give her this type of response. And here's the thing, is that Simon, Simon, rather, so here's what Simon, you know what Simon does? Simon gets critical of her. Simon begins to judge her. He not only gets offended at her, do you know what Simon does? He gets offended at Jesus. He gets offended at Jesus and he says, if Jesus is who he really says he is, if he was really a prophet, he would know who's touching him. And so her response to the presence of God again is confronting his unwillingness to respond the right way to him. Her response is actually confronting how casual she's they are treating Jesus in their midst. And rather than humbling themselves, and rather than saying, man, maybe she knows something about who's with us that I don't, instead, he actually criticizes the one that's offering up the right thing before him. So important. And so Jesus then, what does Jesus do? Jesus turns to Simon and says, Simon, I want to tell you something. And Simon goes, teacher, say it. And he gives this short parable about who is forgiven much, loves much, but then this is what he says at the end. I want you to see this. Starting in verse 44. He says, then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. And verse 45 says, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. He says, you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. There's that idea. We love God corporately. What does that look like? This is what it looks like. We say, oh, I, I walk in the first commandment. This is what loving God looks like. <laughs> like, th- th- there's, a t- there's a response that comes to really saying, I love the Lord. And it says, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. And here's the point I want to close with here. I think it so parallels what happened with Michael and David. Is that Jesus says, Simon, I came into your house. I came into your house and you gave me nothing to drink, but she has not stopped crying over my feet and she's wet my feet. You gave me no oil to anoint my head, but, you, but this woman has anointing my feet. You gave me not a kiss of greeting, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. In other words, Simon, I was so ready to meet with you this way. Simon, I was so ready to receive your kisses. I was so ready to receive your oil. I was so ready to receive your tears, but you did not offer them to me. I would have met you this way. I would have been able to say a same response about you, but you didn't offer that to me. And I believe, like, the saddest part is that Simon missed out. Because at the end of the day, like, we all have te- What is tears? Our pains. Things are going on in our life. Our kisses, our affections. Like, as great as to have a wife that's still a taint. It's still a, f- there's still brokenness there. So, like, he's, he's perfect love. My, my oils, my resources. What he's saying is, Simon, I would have received those things but you didn't give them, therefore you still carry them. Therefore you still haven't found a place to give them. And in the end, it's like Simon leaves that house as the one missing out. Man, I want us to be a house of, of, of this woman. We don't even know, the sinful woman. She's, all she knows is that she's the sinful woman, but her response was proper. And I promise you this, you start coming around the what's happening here, and you start offering up your affection to the Lord, you start offering up your tears to the Lord, you start offering up your oil before God, I promise you, like, he's going to respond back, and you will find everything that your heart's been looking for. All right? I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. Does everyone have communion, a communion cup, those that want to participate? If you don't, if you raise your hand, I can have an usher come around. We're going to close by taking communion here today. So, go ahead and you can break that out if you want. They're a little bit tricky. You can go ahead and open it up real quick. It takes a sec. Everyone's got one. You guys good? Do you want to give some keys or something? <laughs> so I've really felt that to just close here. coming before the table there's a lot of other illustrations i think that tie into what happened with david and Michael. many of you know the story of cain killing abel we hear it as a, a childhood story but there's so much there's so much weightiness to that story of what's happening there's a lot of speculation as to why did god reject cain's offering and receive abel's was it because of what they gave was it a matter of the heart you could probably make cases for different ones, but here's what I know, is that whatever God was, was requesting, Cain had access to give that as well, and he did it, and, and Cain killed Abel, like that critical thing got so bad that he murdered his brother, because ultimately it says that when he saw Abel give the offering, he saw God re- respond with favor upon Abel's life, and the favor that he saw in Abel's life so disturbed him, And the sad thing is that he actually, he had access to give the same thing and receive the same thing. And we may not murder each other in that sense, but man, with our words, man, we could really tear each other apart. And the whole purpose of this is for us to be unified, to be unified in what we're going after and to give people like freedom to really pursue the Lord, worship the Lord, celebrate that he is not just with us in a building, but in our bodies. And so what I wanna do is I just wanna close by taking... Uh, taking Holy Communion here together. And I want to, um, I just want to put this before you, that when we took, we did communion series earlier on in this year, we had mentioned about the importance of coming before the table rightly. And what that means is, it's not about you getting yourself right, because that will never happen. When, when we come to this table rightly, it's about us coming in, in sincerity, in truth, in honesty, which means that, that there's stuff going on in our life, we don't hold that, but we come before him. And we say, Lord, like, man, I need, I need you to, like, deal with this. And the beautiful thing is that when we come in this honesty and we come with this transparency, like, he meets us. Grace meets us. It's a person. And you find, like, healing comes to our hearts. And that stuff that we're holding on to begins to break. And these wounds can actually minister to you. I mean, think about Jesus. If there's anyone, if there's anyone who understands what it's like to be on the wrong side of being mistreated, on the wrong side of a critical voice, it's Jesus. And yet he laid down his life for the very one who would betray him in this room. And so I really think there's something that can take place here. And uh, I'm just gonna ask you to just close your eyes for a moment. This body and this cup, it's, It's the cost that allows us to enjoy the gospel in the fullest way now. So one, we come here this morning with gratitude in our hearts that what David experienced with limitation, we have in its fullness because of this right here, what this table is leading us into. But also there's healing. There's healing in our hearts for offense. And so Lord, I just pray that as we come to partake of your body and your blood. I pray that by the spirit that you would, you would really weaponize these me- this meal and you would, you would make it something that just confronts and heals. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would, you would, you would lead us into a unity in where, in where we are going. I pray for a Psalm 133 blessing on this house. I pray, Lord, that we would give you what you've always desired in this body. I pray, Lord, that we would be a house of David's. Thank you for your mercy, God. Thank you for your patience. That is all summed up right here. And so this bread, take this bread. Lord, I pray that as we partake of this bread, we would remember your wounds. We would remember your body that was broken, that brings wholeness and healing to us. And I pray, God, that as we partake together, I pray you would bring healing wholeness emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually. In Jesus' name, let's partake together the bread. That tasted like cardboard. (laughs) Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Let's take the cup. Yeah, I thank you, Lord, for your blood that was poured out. I thank you for the forgiveness of sins. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you have invited us all to join in into what you're doing here. And it's by your blood that we have access. We have access. You have sprinkled your blood on the mercy seat that we can enter in. So, Lord, we make it our number one priority to come before your presence and to worship you and to enjoy you and to celebrate what you have done. And I pray, Lord, that as we partake of this cup, that just that that, that a breaking would happen over all of our lives, that there would be a new freedom, a new joy that we step into, new expressions of worship, new responses to, to what you have done and what you have paid for, Lord. I pray you would call out prophetic giftings and the arts and and drawings and paintings and flag dancing, Lord, that, God, that we would become a celebratory body. Lord, we would celebrate night and day that you are with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Let's partake of his blood together. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, if there's anyone who needs prayer specifically, you can always come up. Worship team is going to worship a little bit longer, so you can come up and and pray. But if not, we'll see you this week in some way, Revelation study, Beholding Night Friday night, and we'll see you guys next Friday for Love Day, all right? God bless you guys.